Hello, this is Romaro Gill, the biggest defensive player of the year and most improved player. And you're listening to Left Coast Pirates. Let's go. Seconds to go down by two. Here's Whitehead. Guarded by Ochefu. Gets the step into the lane. Goes to the bucket. Layup. Rolls around and in. And a foul. Whitehead ties the game. Pow from Trenton. Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes. From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California. He is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997. And we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is February 6, 2022. And Mikey, we needed this past week like the Owens business. Like whose business? Like no one's business. Oh, like no one's business. I thought you were like quoting somebody from like scripture or something like that. Okay. All right. Uh, uh, Tommy, I, I Mike, I, I don't, don't know. quote anybody in these things. You're the one that likes to go off on these monologues here. What? What are you going to tell me about your brother this week? I, I got no monologue for you this week. How about that? I mean, I, you want me to sit here and talk about how we righted the ship with the two games that we won, which essentially we needed to have. But instead, I'm going to do what I need to do here. You and I had a friendly wager at the uh, Los Angeles Clippers Lakers game that we took in this past week. And I, I unfortunately uh, took the took the loss in the little prop bets that we had for the for the given evening. Oh, so it was I, wonderful, too, because you you got your two props early in the game and you were talking sweep. But my Lakers, they seem to come right back. Your Lakers. I, I mushed it like I always do. I, I started talking trash. I felt like I had the victory in the bag. And lo and behold, the Mikey mush comes through. So uh, as part of losing the bet, you said to me, hey, if, if we lose, I have to go back and honor this alumni spotlight segment that you wanted in the podcast from the very first episode of the season, which basically got cut from every episode going forward. There was nothing I'll, left I'll play. to spotlight. We got it there all. There is, in. though, but but there is. So I'll, I'll play ball here, all right? In, in recent G League news, the Delaware Bluecoats and, yes, Miles Powell, as you say, the man who shall not be named, uh, in 26 minutes had 19 points, 10 assists, and 8 rebounds on 5 and 9 from 3. Maybe he'll get a shot, Tommy. Maybe he'll get a shot in the big show beyond some of the uh, cameo COVID appearances. To call Molson on a more of a somber note has unfortunately suffered a knee injury and is now out for the remainder of the year. He was averaged just under 14 points per game, five rebounds, 2.3 assists, which was actually leading his squad in helping James Madison to a 12 and six mark. But the biggest success story, Tommy, for the, for the ex pirates this year has been the play of Shavar Reynolds. As a starter for the Mammoth Hawks, he has taken on a scorer's role. His field goal attempts are double what he took for the Pirates. And he's now upped his scoring average to 14.6 points per game. I, I get it. His percentages are a little bit down, as are his assists. But that's because he's being looked at by opponents as one of the primary targets to shut down. His previous career high with the Hall was 17 but Tommy, he's put up a personal best 25 on two separate occasions in decent competition at St. John's in a win versus St. Joe's. He even had a career high nine assists versus Colgate. I guarantee you there have been times this year when Kevin Willard is saying to himself, I wish I had Shavar's energy and intensity to come off the bench and spark this team. There it is, Tommy. Now, there, now, there's my I monologue. Be, if I wanted to be a negative Nancy, I would bring up the fact that Shavar wanted to lead the country in assists. But, you know, I won't go there, I guess. Let's maybe let's, maybe, let's maybe he took his deep thoughts from Kevin Willard and just kind of misspoke <laughs> during a PR session. I, I get it. He was he was 
initially to be the point guard, but you know, he, he's morphed more into a two guard, which we kind of said was, you know, the better suited role for him. And he's doing fairly well. And it's absolutely, and the Hawks well, all- it, it's absolutely what we said over and over where his skill set lied, but you know, let's not be negative. This was a positive week. So, This week on the podcast, we will review the wins against Georgetown and against Creighton. We will preview the upcoming games against Xavier and at Villanova. But first, Seton Hall 70, Georgetown 63. Another slow start for the Pirates with only 7.6 minutes into the game. But Georgetown could only build a 5-point lead at that point. Then the Pirates put together an extended run 28-13 to before Caden Rice hit an off-balance three at the buzzer to cut the lead to 7, 35-28, heading into halftime. Seton Hall pushed the lead to 11 before Georgetown hit their stride and used a 21-5 run to take a five-point lead with nine minutes left in the game. However, the boys from South Orange had one more run of their own, hitting five threes and pulling away in the closing moments for the final margin. All right, Tommy, stats on this one. Trey Jackson, 21 points, seven rebounds, seven of 11 from the floor, five of nine from distance. Man, did he step up. Kadari Richmond bounced back from a couple subpar performances, 12 points, eight rebounds, and seven assists. Jared Roden also chipped in with 14 points. For the opposition, Aminu Muhammad, 14 points, eight boards. Donald Carey, 15 points, game high for the Hoyas. And Dante Harris had 12 points and six rebounds as well. From a team perspective, once again, it wasn't a Picasso. Both teams shot under 40%, but Seton Hall held advantages in threes made, 12 to 7 in free throws made 14 to 4 and they were also plus 7 on the glass. Tom to me the turning point in this one I think it's pretty obvious Georgetown goes on this 21 to 5 run and steals all the momentum early in the second half and you're sitting here going oh my goodness here we go again this is going to fall apart and then all of a sudden Seton Hall makes their next seven field goal attempts, five of them from three-point range, three specifically by Trey Jackson. But the one for me that resonated the most was the first one by Harris to basically end that run and keep contact with Georgetown before they could pull away and basically bury the Hall's hopes for getting a must-needed win. To me, that was the most important shot that Harris has probably hit as a Pirate to date. So, Mike, we all know January ended, February came up, and the Pirates were desperate for a win, and they were playing a really bad Georgetown team. But we still needed that win, and who came up big? The man you just mentioned, Trey Jackson. He got the start, and he ties his Pirates career high with 21 points in only 24 minutes of play. He was huge down the stretch, again, like you mentioned, shooting those big threes, and he's now shooting 44% from three. Well, we've seen glimpses from a lot of different guys, specifically someone like Trey Jackson, the good performance against Michigan. Yes, he had 21 points against Nyack, but we keep on joking saying, you know, we got to see these guys do it more consistently against better competition. So, yeah, there's the Michigan performance. Now you have it in a big spot against Georgetown in conference play. I think Trey Jackson is going to be an integral part of this team's success going forward. But how the heck do you maximize his time when once again, Willard is just playing the 40 minutes at a specific position for two guys to share. So once again, if you look down at the box score in this one, Jackson logged 24 minutes. Yetna had 15 Ike had 31 at the center position and Tyrese had nine. He's specifically playing these four guys exclusively at the four or exclusively at the five and with the hot hand. But I, on a given night, you got to find a better way to integrate Jackson, Yetna, Ike. And then, hey, look, Samuel had a good game. 
in, in the in the next one against Creighton. You got to find a way to maximize these guys' minutes and maybe get them more than the 80 allocated. There have been times that Jared Roden has been struggling. Can we see Trey Jackson slide over to the three for a little bit? You know, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, Mike, we've talked about this. We've talked about this in the past weeks. You know, it looked like Jackson got the start in this game because the Pirates have been hurting for offense. Between him and Yetna, Jackson is the more offensively proficient player. So it kind of doesn't shock you that he's going to get those minutes at that point. But you're right, man. Slide him down to the three. He is not that big a guy. I mean, we saw Georgetown post him up, do a little abuse at him at the four, put him at the three, see what he can do. I don't understand it personally. Well, I, I don't want to limit the minutes that Roden gets, but I mean, Roden has not played his best basketball recently. So here, here's an idea, right? A- Aiken's still been out. Let's go under the assumption that Aiken is still out in this scenario. Harris has to get more minutes to give Kadari a blow. You can't ask Kadari to go, you know, 30, 37. Yet, what does he do? He goes 36 in this Georgetown game yet again. But maybe you get Kadari down to 30 minutes. You slide Harris into 10 minutes at the point guard spot. Harris plays some minutes at the two still. I'm not saying he's exclusively your backup point. But why couldn't Roden slide over and play the two? We keep on saying that Kale is an added position too. You keep on saying to me, does it really matter if it's a shooting guard anymore? Can't we just call it a wing? Right. We, we know that neither one of them are going to be high efficiency shooting from three, but we're just talking about wing players. So give me Roden and Jackson potentially in the game at the same time. I don't know why you keep on wanting to take in minutes from Kale. That's what you're doing here. That that's, that's the back end here. Moving, moving Roden over to the two. I don't think you need to do that. There's ways of moving this around. Get him a few minutes at the three. Well, maybe Kale's minutes suffer a little bit when he's backing up Roden. It's all right. You know, get the hot hand in the game. It'll all work itself out later. See, I just don't think he's been backing up Roden. I think Roden's been getting heavy minutes because of the injury to Weston. We were hoping that Weston was going to spell Roden for somewhere between five to ten minutes per game. And that hasn't been the case well, with well, all then, the injuries. Why are you moving Roden down to the two if you're talking about spelling Roden? I mean, that doesn't make sense, Mike. No, I'm just I'm just saying balance Roden, Kale, and Jackson at the three is all I'm saying. You know, be flexible. I don't have to marry the guy to the four spot is all I'm trying. Look, at this point... Therefore, like, I don't have to marry Roden to the three, is all I'm saying as well. Well, like you said, at this point, Jameer Harris is coming in to back up some minutes at the one. Don't worry about moving Roden to two. It's unnecessary. Just put Jackson in at the three, see what he can do. All right, fair enough. Uh, but once again, Jackson stepped up. He played better. The Hall needed it. The Hall also needed this guy to step up as well. And as we highlighted in the stats... Kadari Richmond clearly had a bounce back game. We've seen it before where he was able to kind of stat sheet stuff in games against Wagner and Bethune Cook. And he finally did it now against some elevated competition. And once again, 36 heavy minutes of play. And he only turned it over twice in Biggie's play. I know he's shooting 33%. And if you don't count the Yukon game, Tommy, he's only shooting 27. So, I mean, Maybe a game like this will help him kind of build his confidence, cut back on those turnovers, and essentially turn the corner because he looked like he was in control in this game compared to the effort you got versus St. John's. Mike, Mike, Clearly there was blue, improvement. We're in blue-tinted glasses. Why are you bringing up sour grapes and gripes here? You're talking about I'm not, I'm not. most complete game, and then you start poo-pooing his shooting. Mike, come on, man. Follow the structure. Follow our format. I, I'm saying that I don't think you need to expect Kadari to do what he did in the UConn game. He had the UConn performance, and then everybody was using that as a as a measuring stick, which is ridiculous if you think about it. So if Kadari can give you ten points, heavy minutes at the at the point guard spot without turning the ball over, and then once again does a little bit of everything else in terms of rebounds, steals, assists. You're happy with that, right? I don't I don't need him to shoot 50% from three to be effective. I'd like to not see him shoot in the 20s. So maybe his, his shot selection needs to be a little bit more uh, judicious. But I love the fact that he can impact the game in multiple facets like he did in this Georgetown effort. 
Well, That's all what, I'm saying. What was really surprising was how well we shot the ball as a team from three. Uh, we went 12 of 30 for a crisp 40%. You know, usually... That's not how we're shooting outside of Trey Jackson, but this was a nice surprise. Is this where we're at right now? The team jacks up 33s and we shoot 40%. And we're like, a, that's a crisp, that's a crisp 40% at this point. Well, hey, look, it, it's an improvement. We were wondering whether they were going to do better than last year's 33%. I'll take 40% all day, Michael. Yeah, no, I know. I, I get it. I get it. The team was shooting 31% previously coming into this game I'll, I'll take 40 every day of the week but once again it's not like we were shooting the lights out in this game we shot under 40 percent for the entire game and it was nice that they were able to kind of use the three ball as a positive weapon hey look we're going to talk about it in the the Creighton recap as well when you shoot better than 40 percent from three-point range you're going to have a good chance to win most of the games that you're in. So Seton Hall just needs to be a little bit better once again in their shot selection. They, they got to have the right guys shooting the three-pointers. Uh, it'd be nice to not be kind of jacking them up early in the shot clock or forcing them in transition. So I can live with 40%, but I, I guess I didn't dive into it to see the quality. I don't think our offense was quality. I think they we just made enough plays to beat Tommy a bad Georgetown team. Now, since you can't read a format sheet anymore, Michael, let's go into sour grapes and gripes. And yet, that's probably the only thing I can complain about here is that this was a bad team and we kind of played down to their quality. You know, they always talk about tennis matches only being as good as the two guys in it. But this was just not a good Georgetown team. And they still managed to get a big 21 to five run on us in the second half to take a lead about halfway through. I mean, I was worried for a little bit, Mike. I was about to say, you look at this a couple different ways. Once again, they got off to a better start. They built an 11 point lead. Uh, yes. Georgetown goes on their big run and we show some resiliency and, and step up and pull out the win. But you could also sit there and go, why? Well, why did you even have to kind of endure that? or even have that kind of agita. Why do you have to hit those kind of big three-pointers just to even find a way to win? Two sides of the coin here. I'd, I'd love to see them take a team like Georgetown, step on their throats once you're up 11, put them away in the second half. Uh, but no, they, they persevered. Uh, they stepped up when they had to. But good. if it was a better team on the road, I don't know. Right? This, like I said, I'm, I'm happy with the victory. We debated this last year that uh, a win in conference play is a win specifically a road win in conference play, regardless of the inferior opponent, is still a win that you have to take care of business. And they did. So I'm happy about that. But Tom, we're trying to have this like new social media post of the week. And, you know, I, I think there were a lot of fans that were on the edge of their seat or kind of feeling that same level of concern that you you were demonstrating here earlier. I, I found a couple funny ones on Facebook. I'll, I'll leave last names out of it. But Claire, as they're going through this streak, goes, my dog no longer flinches when I yell at my TV. My kids never did. They were womb trained. Ouch. That, that, that's that's, that's pretty funny. tough, man. That's tough there. The, the best is the response back to it. So then Mark responds and goes, last night when Seton Hall wasn't playing well and I was throwing my hands up in the air, my dog got up and walked out of the room. It was like he had had enough. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, they had 16 turnovers. It, it was trending in, a, in the wrong direction for a few minutes there. So I, I get it, man. The, the emotions were high from the fan base. We knew we needed to get this. It felt like we had it locked up. And then it was like, uh-oh, oh no. So like I said, ha happy with the victory, but <laughs> that's not the game I want to build off of for this week. What I want to build off is... Seton Hall 74 Great in 55. The Pirates finally flipped the script and blitzed the Blue Jays from the opening tip. Seton Hall jumped out to a 23-3 lead and never looked back. A Kadari Richmond traditional three-point play to open the second half pushed the lead to a game-high 24. Creighton would make their obligatory run and trim the lead to 13 after an Alex O'Connell stealing dunk. 
but the Hall would slam the door shut with back-to-back threes by Alexis Yetna and Jameer Harris to extend the lead back to 21. The final 10 minutes were academic as the Pirates coasted to a 19-point blowout win. All right, Tom, box score. You know what? There was nothing. There's nobody really stood out. It was just a collective team effort. Five Pirates scored in double figures. Richmond, 14. Harris, 13. Kale, 12. Roden and Samuel, 11 apiece. And just Creighton didn't get that production. Alex O'Connell, 12 points and seven rebounds was really the lone bright spot, you know, uh, on the stat sheet for them. From a three-point shooting perspective, what was the last time you saw us basically run them out of the building in terms of three-point shooting? 10 of 21 for Seton Hall. Creighton, only 5 of 22. Low 20s. Assists. Seton Hall held the advantage. 14 to 8. Coach Buckets, what's going on over there? And blocks. You know, Ike had his fingerprints all over this one. Seton Hall, seven blocks. Creighton, only one. Tom, the turning point. I, I was thinking about it. I said, I said, do I do it? Do I dare say it was the opening tip? But I'll go with the hot three-point shooting for the 11-0 start. You know, when McDermott called the timeout at eight to nothing, you saw the team come off the floor and they had some damn swagger that you have not seen for a long time. And then when they come back out after the, uh, the timeout, they get a stop and Richmond bangs in another three. And you're like, this is going to continue. And you just watch them take that energy and emotion and carry it throughout is specifically on the defensive side. Well, you know, beyond the swagger, Mike, like you said, that intensity that they started that game with, I I said later on, I said, that's how they should play every game. They were ready from the go. Why is this such a rare occurrence that the guys come out there and start like that? They were playing every defensive possession like it was the last play of the game. They were making good plays on offense. I don't know, man. That's how I should see this team play. I don't know how to read the uh, the agenda. I don't know how to stick with the with the section that we're in. Blue tinted glasses. Yeah, I know that this is what we're frustrated about when we don't see it in the DePaul, St. John's, Creighton no-shows or the slow starts that we've documented. But on this given night, every player that stepped on the floor had that intensity level. I mean, the, I, I wish the, the weather did not hold the fans back from getting to the rock, or maybe it's the, the COVID vaccination policies. Now, who the heck knows? But I think the fans were starving to be able to kind of cheer on that type of performance from opening tip to final buzzer. And the crowd that did show up, man, they fed off of that. The students that were there, they fed off of that. It felt like you had that home crowd environment reestablished. And they should want to play that way. You, you, I don't understand why you can't have that level of energy. Like you said, every when you take your home floor, sometimes on the road, it's tough. It, it's just difficult, right? It might be intimidating. It might have been the travel. But this is your home court. Why? Well, you're right. But And on that particular night, not, not, a, not a moment was missed for the team to be prepared. I, I enjoyed it. Great. You know, and defensively, they were just outstanding. Creighton started that game 1 of 11 from 3 in the first half. And it wasn't just bad shooting. It was difficult shots. The defense was forcing them on hard threes. And the looks weren't there for them. You know Creighton's going to make open shots. They just wasn't happening that game. So I'm going to pair this with the next positive blue-tinted glasses point we have here. Ike was a game changer, right? There was a couple times that they tried to go inside, and Ike is sending them back multiple guys completely setting the tone and it allowed for Seton Hall defenders to really get up on those three point shooters and close out hard. Willard said uh, his game plan in the beginning was to slow down Ryan Hawkins and Alex O'Connell and not let them get a clean or comfortable look from three Uh, game plan accomplished, but because I was back there being able to be the eraser that he was that changed things. There were points where, Creighton would then drive to the rim and then almost do like an about face U-turn because they wanted no part of attacking the big man in the middle. So I'm going to do 
social media post of the week number two for you, Tom. Because guess what? We went off script last week. We didn't do any of that, right? So we're going we're gonna to double up a little bit in this segment for, uh, for this podcast. And I'm going to go back to rivals. And speaking of Ike, Bluebeard makes the following comment. He goes, their 7-1 big Kalkbrenner had been shooting 63% from the year and had only taken two three-point shots all season. One in the first nine Big East games. In the first three-plus minutes of this game, he had two offensive rebounds and shot both of them, and he had the first altered by Ike and the next one blocked by Ike. After being blocked, he wanted no part of dealing with Ike. At 4-0, Kalkbrenner grabbed an offensive rebound close to the hoop with Ike between him and the basket, and he just turned and passed it out, and they missed a three. He again got the offensive rebound, kicked it out for another missed three. He didn't want to deal with Ike inside. He wound up taking four threes, double what he took all year, and I loved it. Their great inside seven was jacking threes. That's dictating and forcing their team to change their game plan. Wow, isn't that ironic that we look back Versus Creighton the last two seasons. And what are we complaining about? Willard adjusting to them. Going small with Romaro Gill. Going small last year and taking Obiagu out. And finally, our 7-1 guy is changing the game and throwing off what they like to do best. It was refreshing. Well, two points. You know, this kind of reminded me how Gil treated Omar Yurt 7 a couple years ago uh, when Georgetown came into town. Good example. Good example. He just didn't know what to do with Gil. He had not seen someone that big. Uh, It was just, it messed with his mind and he was garbage that game. And number two, Mike, this is supposed to be social media post, not story time with Bluebeard. My goodness. It was good. It was good. Could you not have found a longer thing? We're going to have to credit him. I'm going to have to pay him now out of the proceeds here, Mike. Come on. I'm sorry. I I thought it was anything better that you were going to come up with, so I just rolled with it, man. Oh, stop it, man. Oh, stop it. (laughs) It it was perfectly stated in how, once again, certain elements early in the game we're noticeable. Another f- tries to come back and go, well, Kalkbrenner was coming off of an injury. So, you know, maybe he didn't want to bang and bang down low because of his back. I'm sorry. Too bad. Too bad. Hey, if he wasn't ready to play, hey, he shouldn't be in the game. But, you know, again, a second game in a row, Mike. And we shot the three. Like, this is our, like, this is our strength point here, Mike. Oh, but now but now it's closer to 50%. You know, 10 out of 21 is not 12 out of 30. I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. I'll take 40% the way we've been shooting it. I'll take 40%, pal. You know what I liked about this game? It looked like they ran a play for Harris. Oh, my goodness. That little curl, that little screen that uh, that Yetna set for him, and he curls right behind it into a, a set three-pointer. That was nice. So we've seen that before. We've seen stuff like that from Miles Powell in the past. I just... So once again, we know Willard has it somewhere in his repertoire on his on his team sheet, as he says. But I, I don't know why it took so long to break it out. I mean, he's so comfortable on a play like that. I still would like to see Harris scale back some of the individual jacking from 27 feet and beyond. But man, that was nice. It was, that was I'm just, there was so many. I keep on using the word refreshing. There were so many things that were refreshing about this game. Now, I, I don't expect the other team to shoot 22 percent. I don't expect a very good shooting team like Creighton to, you know, to crap the bed every every night when you play a team like that. I don't expect us to run them out of the building. But, Tom, it just felt good, Tommy. It just felt good. Uh, you know, and it felt good to do it against Creighton, who's kind of sneaky on the hatred side, Mike. Ever since they hung that banner and acted like they had won something big when all they did was take one-third of the Big East title home a couple years ago. So it, it always feels good to beat them, I think. Just don't take this team for granted. We got the last game of the Big East regular season at their place. They're a good young team. They are definitely overachieving. Uh, versus what I thought they were going to do this year. And, and you saw it. You saw Kaluma. You saw Alexander. Those are three young, talented players that if they're in this program for three to four seasons, Creighton's going to be a tough out. They just are. And McDermott finds a way to add one or two transfers. Like a guy like Ryan Hawkins is a nice D2 transfer that he picked up 
you know, to add to that roster. Kalkbrenner is going to get better. Get your get your uh, licks in now against Creighton because they're still going to be a thorn in our side uh, going forward and hopefully not that last game of the regular season. So, Mike, are you saying that Creighton's going to be okay? Is that what you're saying? Oh, geez. Are you going to ask I, I, I me? Think, oh, oh okay. boy. All right, all right. I'm just making sure. I, I thought I heard that somewhere before, but I, I, can, I can only bow down to you so many times in one episode. Okay, <laughs> just, just, just. That's uh, enough. That's enough. But you know, is there anything we could actually complain about this game, Mike? I mean, it was from from whistle to whistle. It was domination. I, I wanted to say none. I want to say there's nothing in sour grapes and gripes, but that would be completely out of character for me. Uh, there was still a little bit of iso ball. I mean, I, I know, I know we, we took care of business, but there were times some ISO ball, right? I mean, did, didn't we have a stretch in that first half that we also went two of 10, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, but the defense took care of it, though. It did, they didn't let Creighton back into that it, game. As well as it did, not not an issue. I'm going to go in a different direction for sour grapes and grapes, and it's nothing that we could control. But I'm just disappointed. Not frustrated, just more disappointed that something as a freakish play that to end the Marquette game has now landed Bryce Aiken out of the lineup for his fifth consecutive game. And that, that was a little disappointing for, from a, a recap perspective in this one. I think people were holding their breath that he'd be back. And then once again, when it was reported, you were like, here we go again. But the team stepped up, man. They, they filled in. Maybe they're getting used to playing without him. They're also getting used to playing out without Brandon Weston. I mean, <laughs> that ankle injury, man. Uh, here, here's here's my here's my joke for the game. We're, we're always basically saying when a player comes back off of an injury where it's like, I don't know, is he going to make it back the next game? And then he plays. Karina's like, there's Tony Testa with the holy water again. Can we get some of that holy water for Weston's ankle? I, I've never heard of, a, of, of a, an ankle where the guy's not even in a boot. He's walking around the sideline and we're getting no reports on this kid's ankle. Is he is he ever going to play this year? I don't even want to talk about it, Mike. That would go into the level of speculation that I do not feel comfortable uh, participating in. But, you know, so, you know, we ended the week really well. At the beginning of it, I was a little concerned, and nothing concerned me more than seeing the duo of Matt Schumacher and Donnie Marshall calling the Georgetown game. Now, you know, I can't stand Donnie Marshall. It just, my ears bleed. He just it makes me nauseous. But who would have thought that Matt Schumacher would have been the guy who had the mic flop? But it's a little different this week, Mike. It's not so much what he said. It's what he didn't say. You talk about wanting Seton Hall to move the ball more. That's one thing that Kevin Willard said was a positive of having a full week of practice. As you see a three go down for Jackson. He said we actually had an opportunity to put in some new sets and new motions in the offense. Now, Mike, luckily, right during his little line there, Trey Jackson hits a three-pointer. But do you realize... That three went down at 15:42, and he gave the Pirates a robust seven points in the first four minutes plus. And eventually, the Pirates scored points eight and nine at 13 minutes and 18 seconds. Could <laughs> you from- not have followed up that statement with, but it doesn't look like it's helped so far? I was telling you the Georgetown game was not that attractive on the offensive side of things. I, they got the win. They got the win. What what I think we need to be careful with here is we're making fun of guys in the mic flop and drop section and saying that your ears were bleeding. I have to wonder how many times people are sitting there going, those two clowns on LCP are making my ears bleed. And I just got just be careful there. Those who live in glass houses should not be throwing stones. I, I can take the criticism. I'm okay with it here, Mike. But can they? That's the bigger question. Speaking of someone who can't take criticism at times, I think it's time to go to our favorite segment of the show. And now deep thoughts with Kevin Willard. So, Mikey, normally we go to the post-game show with Gary and Dave, but this time. Seton Hall actually put the post-game presser 
up on YouTube so we can go right to the horse's mouth. I don't think Seton Hall did that. I think there's one reporter in the background with his phone because you get there from the really weird side angle. I don't think it's Seton Hall putting it out there. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Let, let, let's listen to a particular question and answer from Coach. You got your next three games against top 25 opponents, starting with Xavier. You know, how do you feel you can keep this momentum going? And obviously those you know, wins there could help your resume. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if we can, if we can, you know, we obviously have a very, very tough battle Wednesday night. I love the way Xavier's playing. Uh, they're using, they're using Nunji great and they're using uh, Fremantle really well in the post. They're really spacing those two guys out. Um, if we can get back to six and six after, after really gifting the league two losses, uh, I'd be thrilled. Well, let's start off with really tough question there by Zagoria. Good job there. Good job there, Adam. Oh, are you really going to give Adam Zagoria some tough No, time? you couldn't hear the sarcasm? You couldn't hear the sarcasm? <laughs> Come on. Uh, uh, I, I put this out on social media myself earlier this week, and normally I'm going to bash the heck out of Kevin for continuing to complain about the schedule. It's, it's a broken record. But this time I know what he's doing here, okay? He's at the point where he has to pound the drum about the fact that his team had to play shorthanded so loudly that the committee does not forget. It was, it's not going to be, you know, the last couple games of the regular season. This goes all the way back to December. And sometimes things like that are forgotten. And Kevin realizes that his team is on the bubble now or is trending to be on the bubble. And those two games are, could be detrimental for his team getting in or not getting into the tournament if he would have had them as wins on the resume. So I think he kind of has to do this. He has to continue to drill this narrative into the media, into the committee's thought process, because for the rest of the country, we've grown to accept that COVID pauses happen. Teams play shorthanded. Injuries occur and teams have to go on. And if that's the case, if that becomes the accepted norm, then guess what, Tom? Those become just two losses as part of your resume like any other season. So Kevin is kind of just, once again, drilling this. It might seem like a broken record. It might seem petty. But for the big picture, he's trying to cut his team some slack. So I got coaches back here this time. I, I'm shocked, Mike. I You must be in a really good mood here, Mike, because I'm shocked that you didn't take and run with that. I, I, I'm getting tired of coach doing it. It sounds very, you know, Jimmy Bayheim, if you will, you know, like a few years ago when coach Bayheim got suspended for the first couple games of the season and, and Syracuse just looked awful. They lost a bunch of them. And then when it came down to choosing teams for the NCAA tournament, he made sure he banged that drum loud and good and said, you know what? They should only pay attention to what my team did with me. We didn't like it then. I don't like it now, Mike. You lost the games. Deal with it. His team got in, though. Jimmy's teams get in. And then, and he, they get in comfortably. He got in like a 10 seed that year. It wasn't even in like the playing game yeah, or like the got, last, did they get last like four buys or something or, like that. They got into the Elite Eight that year or something. I'm not saying it wasn't a decent team. And I'm not saying that Jimmy doesn't do a good job at getting it. No, no, no. I'm not even saying he deserved to be in. And when a Syracuse team gets into the tournament with that zone, they're just a, a matchup nightmare. But it's not the point. The point is he finds a way to advocate for his team. And it does come across as whining. But at the end of the day, he gets the result. I'm not saying Kevin gets the result. But if he wants to play the card the way Jimmy does and it ultimately works, go for it, man. I'd rather be in the tournament than complaining that we're out because they didn't evaluate those two games correctly. He should also be banging the drum of, we didn't have Bryce Aiken for X number of games. That has always been an MO of the committee to say, if one of your best players has been missing, we're going to evaluate those games differently, or maybe we're going to evaluate your record when that guy has played alone. So I, I'm okay, even though we went three and two in this stretch, if they want to look the other way for these games without Bryce, fine, fine with me. I'd rather just have people look at our games, see us win, and put us in. But you know who probably didn't have an opportunity to see us win last week? Were, was all those people in Washington because, whoa, did you see how empty that Georgetown arena was, Mike? 
I thought you were going to say, whoa, did you not see the Seton Hall game tonight? (laughs) It's, you know, Georgetown is a flagship program of the Big East. I I know they have not been recently. It pains me that it also happens to be under the watch of Patrick Ewing. Um, So the younger fans are not really kind of understanding the value that Georgetown brings to the Big East in terms of the national spotlight, in terms of the recognition and the cachet and the history. It, it's sad to see where Georgetown is at at this point. Look, I'm, I'm glad it's not us. You know, I, I never want to be where they are. So so once again, better than somebody else than, than our Pirates. But Georgetown being good is very good for the Big East. And where they're at right now, geez, how, how do they get it turned around? I don't know, man. You know, Coach uh, Coach Ewing. I have I have a little place in my heart for him in my days when I was a Knicks fan, and he's had a lot of hardships with transfers and having to get guys out of his program. I mean, think about how much talent has left his program over the years. That if had stayed, they'd be a decent team at this point. They'd be a decent team. I think they'd be a top team, right? Akinjo. The kid who transferred down to Maryland. I mean, they, they got some players, man. Um, it is what it is. I mean, like I said, once again, just glad it's not us. And I'm glad we got another one to come to, to another game versus them back at the Rock later this year. I mean, there's no such thing as a guaranteed win. But Georgetown right now is as close as it gets. Do you realize that Georgetown is going to be a quad four home game in the Big East? Eek. Oh man, that's Ouch. I'm like I said, I I feel I I shouldn't feel bad, but I feel bad for them right now. What I'm feeling better about right now is Seton Hall's resume as we kind of wrap up this past week. Lots of positives. I'm not going off the deep end. We're not going to go prisoner of the moment and go the extreme. Hey, we're back on track, folks. We're we're in the tournament. Yeah, if if the tournament started today, we're probably in. I like going with Judge Jerry Palm. He's got us at like a ten seed. I don't like Joe Lenardi and his ESPN bias to like the ACC and the conferences that they cover. And I'm really not a big fan of Mike DeCourcy because I think Fox has that bias to the Big East. So I, I like following Jerry Palm in these kind of situations. And Jerry's got us at a 10 seed. The net jumped up. It's not sometimes just about winning good basketball games. It's about playing well in those basketball games and improving your metric. Seton Hall's net jumped from a 43 to a 35 after the Creighton win. That is solid territory in terms of your metrics. Ken Palm at 37, their strength, the schedules of 15. Those are tournament worthy numbers. Got to be careful though. Remember it still was a Georgetown victory and it was a Creighton team. Though, regardless of the fact that they've had some nice wins throughout the year, they still are a 73 net, which means that if they drop more than two spots and fall out of the top 75, that Creighton home win also becomes a quad three and not a quad two. But overall, six and six and quad one and quad two games, that's pretty solid. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the next three games coming up are just as important as the two that we had to take care of business on. They're just not, Tom. Well, certainly this past week was a get better week, but this upcoming week, is the one that will show us where we really are. Starting off this week early, we got Xavier. Xavier comes in at 16 and 6, 6 and 5 in the Big East, for, good for fifth place. You know, it's Coach Travis Steele's fourth year, and you kind of make fun of me about this, Mike, and you're always saying, hey, you're going to ask your hot seat question? But is Travis Steele on the hot seat, Mike, or is it getting a little warm at least? No, I think if, I think if there's one coach that we should be asking that question about, it absolutely should be Travis Steele. He's below 500 uh, in his Big East coaching resume in terms of conference play. They have not made the tournament under his watch. And this is a program that has a history of success. You can go all the way back to the days of Skip Proctor when he coached there. But more recently... I mean, this this program is just known success. Four out of five years that Sean Miller was at the helm, they made the tournament. Eight out of the nine seasons that Chris Mack was running the program, they made the tournament. 
And in his last year before he left to go take the Louisville job, they were a number one seed. They were top five in the country when we beat them that last game at, of the regular season at the Rock when Isaiah Whitehead and company took it to them. That was a game that we came out right out of the gate and, and smacked it to a team. Hey, Xavier has known some high-level success. They've had success under Steele. They've gotten into the top 25, but it always seems like they flame out, Tom. So don't you think the fan base, every time that they feel like a guy like Travis Steele is getting things pointed in the right direction, getting them back to that top 25 prominence, and ultimately the end result is not making the tournament, wouldn't that be grounds for the hot seat? No, uh, it'd certainly be hot seat over here, and we know this is similar to uh, what we saw out in Marquette and their lack of the postseason success. But coming back to Xavier, they've had marquee wins this year, Mike. They beat Ohio State. They won at Oklahoma State. Beat their crosstown rival Cincinnati. Beat Marquette. Creighton twice. Butler twice. They've got a lot of nice wins there. They've beaten Butler and Creighton twice as part of their six Big East wins. Another one of those six is DePaul. No shame on Creighton, considering we just beat them, but I still think Creighton is going to be one of those bottom half of the Big East teams when the final standings are done heading into the Big East tournament. Do you really see Creighton finishing any higher than seventh? I thought you just said Creighton was going to be tough the rest of the way, Mikey. Well, God, just because I know they're tough for us. I just thought, right you, now. you don't outcoach Daddy Buckets, you know, twice in one season. You got to go to their place. And, and beat them a second time, it's not going to be easy. Okay, focus but, on Xavier, Mike. My, my, my point is, my point is, I, I don't, I think Xavier has a mixed bag of results, right? Nice wins in the out of conference. Yes, Cincinnati is a true crosstown rival, you know, not like Marquette in Wisconsin. Yeah, go, go ahead. I beat you to that one before you throw me under the bus. But I also think they have their ups and downs and struggles like we do. They lost to the poll their last game out. I mean, that's a game that they got to take care of business at home versus DePaul, Tom. If a fan base wants to be going off the rails, what if our, our loss to DePaul was at home? We'd be going nuts. So they have a good tournament position ahead of them. They're 16 and five. They're looking to kind of bump up in the standings and get to seven and four, and you lose to DePaul. So they have a chance to vault their resume to, you know, to a step even higher you know, get to that 17-win mark, continue to challenge for our top three spot in the standings, and they stub their toe. I, I just think they're an inconsistent squad, and, and that I think they're very similar to us. If you look at a lot of their metrics, they don't lead the Big East in many categories. They're not at the bottom. They're kind of somewhere in the middle tier in most of their statistical measures. Kind of matches up similar to Seton Hall. It's just going to be interesting to see kind of who can prevail in specific matchups, or maybe it's just a, a matter of who's going to have a hot night. But you know, let's talk about some of their guys. Who, who on their roster scares you? Well, it seems like they're a really old roster, Mike. A lot of guys took advantage of that fifth-year COVID year, Mike. Let's, let's start with Jack Nunge. Fifth-year COVID senior, a transfer from Iowa. He's putting up good numbers, 12-7 and seven right now. You got the guy that refuses to graduate, Paul Scruggs, with 12 points a game, 4.3 assists. You can't say that. You got, we got Miles Kale and Bryce Higgins, the guy that refuses to graduate. I just feel like Paul Scruggs has been there as long as Nate Watson's been there, Mike. And Come what on. do you think they're saying about Kale at this point? I think the announcer in the last game even said Kale was in his 17th season. I, I think he actually said that. Other people could say it. I'm not saying it. Let Kale come back for one last year. I'm okay with it here. Uh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's a nice contribution that they're getting from Nunja. You know, when you can put a, a big guy in the middle and get double-digit production uh, when he hasn't averaged double digits previously in his time at Iowa, that was a nice pickup for them. And who the heck would not want a fifth-year senior point guard back? I so I so he and he that, turned the corner I... last year. He turned the corner from like a scoring combo guard to actually becoming a you know an assist guy and, and sharing the ball at almost five a game. And he, he's doing it again this year. They are a well-rounded team. Yet Colby Jones is doing positive things with ten points a game and seven rebounds. And Nate, you want to talk about a guy coming back? Nate Johnson's on his fifth year COVID, but he also had 
a redshirt year when he was at Garner Webb. This is his sixth season in college. He, he's the equivalent of Bryce Aiken right now, right? And he's he's given them 10 points a game, 40% from three. I mean, the, the, the big question for them right now is, what the heck is going on with Zach Fremantle? Here's a guy whose star was kind of rising, you know, blossoming into an all Big East, you know, first team type player. And then he had a foot injury to start the year. And his numbers have just completely dropped. I know he's picked it up recently and over his last four has averaged 15 points a game. But for the season, he's he's down around 12. He was grabbing like nine boards and he's averaging five. I mean, this is the guy that kind of puts him over the top, if you ask me. But there are five guys that we just rattled off that can step up on a given night and make your life hell as a Pirates fan. I mean, once again, you would say the same about us. But there's inconsistencies, right? So it's just a matter of who's going to put their better foot forward in this one. I, I think this is the kind of game where you have to hold serve at home. That's what it comes down to. This isn't the only big-time game we've got this week, and I hate to look past Xavier, but on Saturday, we're heading down to Philadelphia to play Villanova. Villanova is 17-6 on the year, 10-3 in the Big East. But it's only good for second place because how well Providence has been playing so far. Earlier this season, Nova beat Seton Hall on New Year's Day, 73 to 67. But it's a whole lot of the same thing that we come to expect with Nova, Mike. Speaking of guys who refuse to graduate, Colin Gillespie is leading this team with 17.2 points per game. 3.3 rebounds and three assists. Can he just leave, Mike? Tommy, Tommy, I don't want to break this down. Go get me Joe Giuliano. Get, get me behind enemy lines with Giuliano. I'll, I'll talk about it for a couple of minutes on today's episode, but I want a full breakdown. Bring Joe out of retirement. I, I know he kind of hung it up this year, but he can give us one more, right? Why not? All right, we'll see what we can do if we can pull some strings. But, you know, Joe might be working on his golf game at this point, not working for the Philadelphia Inquirer anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it, look, it, there's a lot of unknown going into this matchup, which is why I'd love to kind of talk to Joe and get, you know, more behind the scenes scoops. Justin Ward did not play in their last game against UConn and, and they still won handily by, by 11. Uh, Colin Gillespie also hurt his ankle in that game. I know they basically have a whole week before they play us, but is there a possibility that there could be some karma? Seton Hall didn't get to play them with two of their best guys. In, in the front court, and now they miss two of their, or not two of their best, they're missing their two best guys in the backcourt? Could, could there be a little poetic justice here as we turn the tables to head into Philly? I don't know. They've got a game on Tuesday against St. John's. I don't expect uh, if these guys are really hurt to see either one of them. So they might have a letdown against the Johnnies, and then they, then they might be full of piss and vinegar come Saturday. I'm just saying, I, I think this is a team you can't take for granted. I don't care if they're in second. I don't care if they're hurt. Jay Wright finds a way to have guys get better and step up and get comfortable in their rotation as the season progresses. I'll give you an example from this UConn game. Did you ever think that Eric Dixon was going to go off for 24 and 12 against UConn and their front line? UConn's got probably one of the more dominant front lines in this conference. That, that's the game that Eric Dixon goes 10 of 15 from the floor and just flat out wills his team to a victory. You know, Caleb Daniels has kind of had his moments, but, you know, Justin Moore's out. And, of course, Caleb Daniels comes in and goes 5 of 7 from the floor and puts in 16 points. Of, co- of course. That's just, just the way Nova is. So I don't care what team takes the floor for Villanova. I mean, geez, Chris Archidiacono even had nine points in that game, Tom. Come on. They're a well-schooled basketball team, regardless of the team that takes the floor against us this upcoming weekend. Jay Wright will have them prepared. They're going to be home. It's just not going to be an easy game for Seton Hall. But like you said, you don't want to look ahead. You don't want to take the Xavier game for granted. I almost kind of want to you know, squeeze the UConn road game into this little bundle no, here? Don't do it, Mike. Don't yeah, are, do it. The last but, time you looked too far ahead, you know what happened. Stop I'm just it. saying, I think, fans are, time. I think fans are looking at it as a collective three. I think because it's in the media as this upcoming gauntlet, people read the press clippings. Tom, the I, players I do. I don't just, think... 
I think you just like hearing yourself talk, Mike. Two I games. Don't think, I don't think Kevin Willard insulates this team from blocking out the media noise. So right now on the table is this monumental stretch of these three games to kind of set the season back on course for where it needs to go for Seton Hall to kind of really rebuild that resume, give that breathing space for their tournament bid. I'm, whether you want okay. to do it or not, okay. I'm throwing it to you. Okay, you want to go there, Mike? I, I don't do. know that UConn's that monumental anymore, Mike. It, it's a One, road game. We beat them last time we played them. Two, they just got beat at home by the same Creighton team we ran out of the building, and then they lost to Villanova, which had their possibly second-best player on the bench injured. I don't want to hear about UConn, Mike. UConn's got a whole week to prove themselves right now. Okay, I'm going to agree with you. I, I set you up, and I agree with you. You didn't set I, me up for anything. You're giving my blood pressure a rise here, Mike. Stay in the week. I'm just saying that basically people are building these three games to be monumental, and because of the magnitude of the ranked number next to these teams or them being on the road, maybe it's too tall of a task. If Seton Hall plays closer to what they did against Creighton in terms of intensity, and, and and the way they played on that side of the ball to, on the defensive part of the court, they could play with any one of those three teams. No, no matter where the building is. Well, it almost sounds like you're ready to give a prediction, Mike. I'm, I'm not saying, I. hey, hold on. I'm just saying, I think they need to get two out of three. Is, is it unrealistic to believe that they can pull off that task? I think it's unrealistic to believe they're going to pull off two, or th- two out of three when they've only got two games this week. <laughs> I, I, I think it starts with the Xavier game. I think kids specifically, you know, kids 18, we got 18 to 26 on this team, but, but kids typically. 25. No, isn't Bryce 26 now? I don't know. I mean, 25. Does it, how many kids does Bryce have at this point? I mean, uh, no. Uh, Driving a but, minivan to the games. Young, there's still college athletes, right? There's still the, the psychological aspect of getting these kids ready, dealing with everything else going on around them in terms of social media and COVID and, and, and their studies. It's, it's, there is a delicate psyche in trying to keep these kids focused, eye on the prize throughout a long season. I think if they win that Xavier game, and it's a toss-up game. I think Seton will be favored. Hopefully Bryce is back. We don't know. But even if Bryce is not back, I think that this team – should be able to hold serve against Xavier. And that will build the momentum into those next two games. If once again, they stub their toe and have a little regression, those two road games are going to be really, really tough to pull off. So yeah, I'm going to hedge again, Tommy. I don't know. I think if they, I think they beat Xavier, they sweep the week. If they lose to Xavier, they get swept the other way. How about that? Oh, you can never put your name to a prediction, Mike. It kills me. So what do you got? Go, what, do, what do you got? Give me something. I'm, th- then. I'm, I'm thinking they go one and one this week. I think they beat Xavier. I think Xavier is primed for the taking right now, but I can't see us going down to Nova and, and, and beating them in Philly. I know we did it a couple years ago. I don't know. It's going to be. Should have did it last year. They should have beat them there last year too. Oh, Should have, would have, could have, but they did it though. Did they? Sandra should have just caught that ball. Oh, stop it. <laughs> You and your Sandro, your to call had such a gorgeous, such a gorgeous pass from the call full court there. Come on. Anyway, I think they go one and one. I think that's going to be a good week for them, but I can't see them going down to Philadelphia. I think the guys are going to get healthy for Nova. I think they're going to be at full strength, and I think that's where it's going to go. Well, I if, if they get the Xavier game and they do unfortunately have a setback against Villanova. That was the game that we earmarked in our outlook last week where we talked about, hey, where do they need to be to get to that 10 and 9 or, or get to 9 and 9 going into that Creighton matchup to end the season? That was the the toss-up what-if game. If they get the Xavier game and then stub their toe down in Philadelphia, I'm actually okay with that. I mean, I, I'd love to see a 2-0 and a week, but if that's the 1-1 one one we get or if we just get 1-1 one one in general, that puts us one game ahead of where we needed to be in terms of that outlook uh, to get to a – plus 500 conference record heading into Big East play. It's going to be another exciting week. Wednesday night, Xavier's going to come down to Newark. I'm going to be on my couch stopping work a little early because it's a 4 p.m. start here on the left coast, and I'm going to be screaming, Go Pirates! 4 p.m. start? My kids got baseball practice. Oh, that game's on delay. 
Someone's got to have priorities here. Go big blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Gaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates. (laughs) 